I'd like to send my personalized thanks to Dr. Chad McDonald, PhD. Oh, Ooh, yeah. Another supporter of our uh, Indiegogo fundraiser campaign. You made him sound like Action Doctor. He, I, I assume totally. that he is. I wonder what he's a PhD of. Hmm. Love? <laughs> Chatting, maybe? Yeah. Maybe Chad's all over the place. Oh, uh, voting malfeasance? Yes. <laughs> hanging Chad's? Yep. Uh, Ooh, hanging, Dr. Hanging Chad. He's from the frozen McDonald. wasteland that is northern Manitoba. Oh, our uh, condolences. I guess when he said childhood home about that, that means he's not there anymore. Oh, yeah. Hooray! <laughs> uh, we I would... was in Manitoba once. <laughs> once. Although it does mean he's a pretty, uh, a pretty strong person because it means that he wasn't carried away by the giant mosquitoes when he was a child. Uh-huh. That's true. Yeah, no, this would, uh, he could have been a thank you during our mosquito episode or during our uh, blizzard episode. Or during our no, why the hell does anybody live there episode? That's right. We made that, but it was not very long because yeah. we just couldn't be bothered. <laughs> why the hell does anybody live there? Previously on Caustic Soda. October 1, 0900 hours. Agent Stanley Goodspeed, Agent Trainee Marvin Isherwood initiated exam of wooden crate. Suspicion of sarin gas inside. Marvin, sarin is a. GBS. That is correct. Let's see. We have some dirty magazines. Stone Age cave girls in the raw. Kinky. And uh, not a good sign. Ooh, little baby doll. Look at Stan. Hi there, Stanley. Hey, don't. Hi, Stan. Who's that? Who's that? And now, the conclusion. Now I'd like to talk about some specific agents and uh, what they do and what they have done. Okay. So sulfur mustards we talked about to some extent on Trench Warfare episode, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Centfagas, a.k.a. Iperite, 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 commonly known as mustard gas developed from the Imperial German Army in 1916. They are a class of related cytotoxic, meaning toxic to cells, mm-hmm. and vesicant chemical warfare agents with the ability to form large blisters on the exposed skin and in the lungs. Now, is it called mustard gas because it's yellow, or is it called mustard gas because it's actually made from mustard? In its impure form, it has a yellowish-brown color, right. and some people thought it smelled like garlic, and some people thought it did smell like mustard. Okay. The, the British actually called it HS gas for hun stuff. Hun stuff. Hun stuff. Hun stuff. Uh, that's, like, kind of racist. It would be nowadays. But, you know, when somebody throws mustard gas your way, uh, maybe you're feeling a little more racist. And in the First World War, the Germans were definitely the leaders. They Every gas they right. used, it was up to the Allies to copy and throw back at them yeah, at a right. later date. Because people exposed to mustard gas rarely suffer immediate symptoms and mustard-contaminated areas may appear completely normal, victims can unknowingly receive high dosages. Sulfur mustard is not very soluble in water, but is very soluble in fat contributing to its rapid absorption into the skin. Ooh, yeah. Mm. Wow. Mustard gas vapor easily penetrates clothing fabrics such as wool or cotton, so it is not only the exposed skin of victims that gets burned. Within 24 hours of exposure to mustard agent, victims experience intense itching and skin irritation. Large blisters filled with yellow fluid yeah. develop after the itching and irritation. Yeah. Sore red eyes and meiosis. Who knows what that means? Uh, oh, I M-I-O-S-I-S, oh. not M-Y-O-S-I-S. Damn it. Oh. I know what M-Y-O-S-I-S means. 
I don't know. Does it burn your eye out of your head? Nope. That is when your uh, Wii character that looks like you gets sick and dies. <laughs> you're, okay. you're me. Super dilated pupils is all that oh, okay. means. Okay. You get swollen eyelids resulting in temporary blindness. Bleeding and blistering within the respiratory system, damaging mucous membranes and causing pulmonary edema. Mm-hmm. First and second degree burns, though they can also be every bit as severe, disfiguring, and dangerous as third degree burns. When more than 50% of the victim's skin has been burned, it is often fatal, with death occurring after some days or even weeks have passed. Oh. Oh. It's excruciatingly agonizing. There are, there are many uh, famous photographs of soldiers from the First World War. There's actually a very famous one of a Canadian soldier who was uh, in the second gas attack. Um, on the first day it was used, it was used against French colonial troops who broke and ran because no one had ever encountered this. No one had ever heard of it before. Right. Uh, that was the one that I mentioned. The Germans weren't prepared to consolidate. They took two small villages, but the, the trench was easily resealed. Uh, on the second day they attacked the Canadians, our, our forces had heard of what had happened the day before. And fortunately, you know, the officer class back in that time period, it was it was much different. They had chemists actually in their officer class who went, you know what, a rag soaked in water over your mouth, you'll be able to get through this chlorine attack. But that's not true? Yeah, no, that's actually true. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, some people felt urine was even better because it actually decants the, um, the chlorine into crystals with right. the urea. But uh, to a certain degree, water worked quite well until they started coming up with actual gas masks with bicarbonate of soda right. and various other chemicals. Right. In them. Silver lining, mustard gas led to chemotherapy. During World War II, naval yeah. personnel who were exposed to mustard gas were found to have toxic changes in the bone marrow cells that develop into blood cells. During that same period, the U.S. Army was studying a number of chemicals related to mustard gas to develop more effective agents of war and also develop protective measures. In the course of that work, a compound called nitrogen mustard was studied and found to work against a cancer of the lymph nodes called lymphoma. Again, another one of those things where you're trying to develop one thing and it turns out to create another thing. My mother was treated for uh, cancer in uh, the early 1980s, and one of the chemotherapy drugs was mustard gas. And they stuck her in a trench and threw mustard gas <laughs> yeah. You get the whole experience. That, that was, yeah. You got a whole trench experience. It was German people yeah. shouting at you from yeah. across the yeah. hospital. Here's a can of bully beef. Enjoy. Here's a biscuit. <laughs> Throwing some uh, some Gatling gun fire just barely over your head. Yeah. You pay extra for that. It takes your mind off of the actual chemotherapy. Chemo, yeah. 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 yeah, precisely. It's basically a video game. Right? Chemotherapy of duty. Mm-hmm. An incident involving uh, mustard gas from 1943 in Bari, or possibly Bari, Italy. The the disaster at Bari, which was covered up quickly and really didn't only come to public attention until the 1960s. Bari is a, is a community in the, that time period. It was about 230,000 people, port city on the southeast coast of Italy. Okay. The uh, Allies had taken that area, were holding it, and were using it as a massive staging point for ships to come into so they could offload supplies. Um, chemical weapons were never used offensively during the Second World War, but Hitler had threatened to use them right. if Italy uh-huh. collapsed. Right. So the Americans said, we have to have our stockpile handy in case we got to start throwing them back at them. Right. So they were stockpiling them uh, in Barrie. And there was a ship in harbor called the John Harvey. It was a U.S. Liberty ship. Mm-hmm. As well, there were 20 or 30 other ships in harbor as well. Um, The Americans uh, and the the other Allied forces were quite confident that the Germans weren't going to attack. They didn't believe the Italian Air Force was up to it. So when the hour-long attack actually came, they were quite quite struck by it. 28 ships were destroyed, including the John Harvey, which had been carrying a secret cargo of 2,000 mustard gas bombs. Mm -hmm. Each of them were holding 30 kilograms of the agent. 
Wow. So, so this 60,000 kilograms of mustard gas. Yeah. This all poured into the water of the harbor, which is where all of the sailors are swimming because their boats have just been blown up. Right. So they're all swimming in this oh. pool of the liquid. Right. Water's not soluble with the mustard gas, so it's just spreading out on the water, getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And the water's already had a bunch of oil in it as well. Burning from, oil, exactly. Other so this vessels. is kind of like when you're at the Italian restaurant and you get the focaccia bread, and then they put the olive oil down, and they throw the little balsamic in there, and it kind of spreads out. Mm-hmm. You like mm-hmm. set the balsamic oil slick on top of it. Exactly. So these guys are swimming in olive oil, and the balsamic is coming at them. That's <laughs> <laughs> while the olive oil is on fire. Is yeah. it just me, or is anyone else getting hungry right now? Yeah. So no one knew that the mustard gas was there. So the soldier, right. the sailors are swimming around in it, right? Getting because out. of course this, they want these mustard gas bombs to be top secret, super secret. We can't let the Germans know we've got them. Yeah, otherwise they might come down and bomb our ship. Right, oh, and we wait. can't let the public know because <laughs> the neutral nations will now start going, "Hey, wait a minute, what are yeah. the allies up to?" Here? Yeah, exactly. So hundreds of patients start flooding into the hospitals. The hospitals don't know what go- what are going on. They're not rinsing off decontaminating people because they think oh you just got some you know diesel oil on you and some water so we'll wait yeah so the burns start appearing afterwards and this is where i mentioned earlier and the about, blindness and the blindness and this is where i mentioned earlier about the giant blisters on people's buttocks they had been sitting on soaked clothing or on right. you know on the edge mm-hmm. of the wharf in a pool of mustard gas Right. In the end, 83 people died. There was also an enormous number of i don't know what the demonym for people from Barry is Barians? Barians? Sorry. Sounds good to me. People from Barry Barioids. who came in because a huge cloud of mustard gas when the ship exploded drifted right. into this very large community. Right. And because a war was going on, most of the people had headed for the hills and other family members somewhere in the country. So they've never been able to track the right. number of uh, Italians that were killed in this uh, in this raid. Right, because the results of the attack don't start to exhibit signs until right. 2 to 24 hours in. Exactly. So sometimes your super top secret stuff that you don't want to get bombed gets bombed anyway because you put it in a warship. They should have stuck it like, you know, in a bunch of, you know, prom style limos or something. Prom style limos, yeah, yeah full you know, of mustard of gas. That's that how you deliver it over the water. The Something that nobody would bomb. Submersible yeah. limos. Yeah, absolutely. No, I'm dead. You put them on the ship, and then you drive them off the ship in the limos. Then you uh, don't have to uh, worry about stashing them in the boat for it to be bombed. All right, let's talk about VX, your favorite, Kevin. Yes, the um, Vitae X Human, uh, also known as O Ethyl S two Diisopropyl Amino Ethyl. No wonder they call it VX. Keep going. Methyl phosphonothioate. Yep. Now, doesn't uh, VX actually just stand for five because it's five minus or ten minus five? Isn't that the uh, the oh, Roman VX. numeral style? Oh yeah. When you're in Italy, right, it's right. just called five. It's just called or V. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, the, it's the complicated way of saying five <laughs> yeah, in uh, Latin. Yeah. Chemist Ranajit Ghosh was investigating a class of organophosphate compounds mm-hmm. and found that they were quite effective pesticides. In 1954, the firm he was working for put one of them on the market under the trade name Amaton. It was subsequently withdrawn as it was too toxic for safe use. Wow. This is too toxic. We cannot use it. You yeah. think Find those it was things a, out beforehand. Yeah. It was a very effective pesticide. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I can imagine. The toxicity did not go unnoticed and samples of it had been sent to the British Armed Forces for evaluation. Several members of this class of compounds became a new group of nerve agents, the V agents. This stuff is to- totally toxic and horrible. We're going to mm. pull off the shelves. Uh, but uh, send it to the military and uh, we'll see what they can do with it. The best known of these is probably VX, assigned the UK rainbow code Purple Possum. 
purple possum. This yes. is wait rainbow code. Yes, there's a rainbow code for all uh, for not just for chemical agents, but for tons of different stuff mm-hmm. in the UK mm-hmm. military. The military, when they have code names, you know, often in literature or cinema, and that whenever there's a code name, you can tell exactly what the code name is for. Mm-hmm. Um, if you know, like the well, just the they'll, they'll say like Operation Blow Them Up. Oh, you know what? This could involve explosives. That right. Kind of thing. Right. Well, the rainbow code. You couldn't tell. Right. Right. Because it just added, knows what it, purple it possum is. made no sense whatsoever. Yeah. They just yeah. took a color and then married it to an animal. And well, uh, well, not necessarily animal. Uh, like so a, what would what would your rainbow code be, Tarn? <laughs> Brown bunny? Yeah, sure. Uh, Brown bunny. What about you, Joe? He'd be the gray squid. Come on. All right. What about your rainbow code, Joe? What do you think it'd be? Uh, I would probably just be the boring pink human. Uh, pink human. Yeah. And yours? Uh, well, I'm, Too I'm, obvious. I'm thinking Joe's would be more like pink sloth. Of there course, the pink sloth. Uh, I'm uh, I'm going more like blue badger. You know, I kind of I badger people. That's true. Pretty incessantly. I don't know. You're you're more like a brown bear to me. Uh huh. Oh, in some communities, maybe. Shout out to Tasmania's Purple Possum Whole Foods Cafe. Okay. And uh, Canadian children's book publisher Purple Possum Publishing. And mm. are those both are those both because they're secret covers for uh, chemical weapon <laughs> manufacturing? VX, yes. Yeah, you go into the uh, the supply closet. You pull yeah. down on the mop, and there's an elevator that takes That's you right. down. An extremely toxic substance that is tasteless and odorless liquid. The nerve agent is classified as a weapon of mass destruction by the UN, and production and stockpiling of VX was outlawed by the Chemical Weapons Convention in 1993. Now, what better cover for that? Uh, manufacture of that chemical than a children's book mm-hmm. company. VX is the most toxic nerve agent ever synthesized for which activity has been independently confirmed. It has a high viscosity and low volatility and the texture and feel of motor oil. This oh. makes it especially dangerous as it has a high persistence in the environment. We talked about persistence. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It can be distributed as a liquid, both pure and as a mixture with a polymer in the form of thickened agent or as an aerosol. VX blocks the enzymatic activity of acetylcholinesterase. Wow, not mm-hmm. bad. It's kind of rolled yeah. off the tongue for the first time this whole episode. By binding to the active site of the enzyme. This results in initial violent contractions, followed by flaccid paralysis of all the muscles in the body. Violent contraction followed by flaccid paralysis. Yeah. Sounds like a sex act with Joe. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Sustained paralysis of the diaphragm muscle causes death by asphyxiation. Always death by asphyxiation? That's, yeah. that's sex with Kevin. That's the that's way nerve. Get off me! <laughs> Early symptoms of skin contact may be local muscular twitching. Does anyone have that right now? Uh, in my eye. Uh, uh, oh, yeah. Or uh, sweating. Is anyone sweating? Yes, because it's very hot in here right now. In the area of exposure? We, well, the, air, the air conditioning has been turned off. Followed by nausea or vomiting. Just uh, always. I hear more of those puns. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen. Some of the early symptoms of a VX vapor exposure to nerve agent uh, may be runny nose and or tightness in the chest with shortness of breath. And runny nose and chest tightness. An individual who has received a known nerve agent exposure or who exhibits definite signs or symptoms of nerve agent exposure should immediately have the nerve agent antidote drugs. Atropine is the big one. Uh-huh. And then there's another one called 2PAM. Which 2PAM. 2-PAM, oh. two, right. which right. is... Uh, oh, pro- that's a sitcom from 1987, I'm sure. Oh, I thought you were going to say it was a Pam rapper. Pam Dauber. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's definitely Pam Dauber. No, it's uh, Tupac Shakur's sister. Uh, th- Two Pam. Two Pam. Nice. The drug is known as Prolidoxime. Mm-hmm. Um, and those two, atropine, well, atropine on its own is often just used as the military 
um, anti-nerve agent drug. Uh, Pralidoxamine works exceptionally well as well. And those two, with a sedative or an anti-epileptic drug such as diazepam, which can stop the the twitching and the shuddering, um, those three mixed together. And it's the perfect it, cocktail. If all goes well, you'll, I was going to say walk out, but you, you, you'll you be okay, actually, now, quite what, okay. What would happen to you if you took this antidote agent without being actually affected by a nerve agent? So you mean atropine poisoning. Like, is that possible? Can oh, you... it happened in the Gulf War, the first Gulf War, when they were terrified that Saddam was going to gas them at any second. Yeah. So... You know, something would blow, you know, the Americans would bomb something and some debris would land on soldiers and someone would yell, gas, gas, gas. And everybody was pulling out what's called your, your auto injector right. and firing atropine into their bodies. And then suddenly their pupils go wide. You get the exact opposite effects almost of nerve gas and you can get very, very sick. Uh, right. it, can, it can kill you if uh, you know especially if you took it and then went oh i'm still sick and i better take my second dose right i Be- still don't feel well yeah, for some yeah, reason exactly because <laughs> you have multiple doses in your in your kit, in your kit. right and well because like how long does a dose last oh it's it's gonna last long enough to get you out yeah a couple hours mm-hmm. yeah. but you don't you don't like okay the gulf war is about to start i'm gonna take my atropine <laughs> no and by right? the end of it but, and then by the end of the gulf war i'll be covered but when we get to tokyo they did that. They took the dose in advance before they, they went on their mission. So there's no specific dose. Basically, you don't know how much you've been gassed. Right. So you, you Just, fire the atropine in. You wait a little while. You Oh, I'm starting to have convulsions and I'm having trouble breathing. Bang, you fire the second yeah, one. Yeah, must right. be gas. Yeah. Actually, maybe going over the, the, the actual way nerve gas works so we can talk about how the, the antidote works. Sure. As you mentioned, acetylcholinesterase plays a really big part in here. Mm-hmm. It is a neurotransmitter, meaning it's a chemical in the body that carries a message from neuron to neuron, which is brain cell to brain cell, right. across the synapses. Right. The other neurotransmitter, acetylcholine, which controls part of the parasympathetic system in your body for your gastrointestinal and your respiratory system. So your body says, open the lungs and take in a, deep, a, a big deep breath. And that neurotransmitter picks up that message, fires from the, the, the neuron sending the message to the neuron that's got to pick up the message mm-hmm. to tell the lungs to do it. Right. When it gets there, acetylcholinesterase shoots over and disassembles the acetylcholine. It takes it apart so it can be rebuilt. Okay. So it delivers its message. It's out of the picture. Nerve gas comes in and stops all the acetylcholinesterase from disassembling. From breaking down. So the acetylcholine gets there with its message and just keeps firing it through the mailbox slot. Oh, okay. So your body's getting... Breathe in, breathe out simultaneously, run the gastrointestinal system, which is where you're getting the the vomiting and the diarrhea and all that, and your body goes into convulsions because all of this is going on simultaneously. It's mixed signals. So atropine is a drug that actually binds with only acetylcholine receptors and just tells them, you guys are shutting down right now. So the acetylcholine gets there and keeps giving the message, but there's nobody home to get the mail. Okay. Right. Okay. And it right. gives your body but, a chance to recuperate. But are you breathing? Are you still getting yep. a you're few still of those messages fun- yeah. that say breathe? Exactly. It, your body is running autonomically at that point. Okay. So you're still functioning, getting along normally, and that's after atropine. And the 2PAM does the same thing as well. Um, the reason you would want the uh, diazepam is you've had enough that you're in convulsions. Right. And so they want to do the mix. So now when you take atropine without being gassed, why does it have a toxic effect? When you use the atropine when things are going bad, it's because it's being flooded. It's like putting right. up a, a blast shield. Okay. Now there's no flood coming, so nothing is getting through at all, and it just dries up. And as I mentioned, your atropine comes in an injector kit, uh, and they look like big jiffy markers. 
Okay. Did you ever get a chance to uh, dose yourself no, with I the auto injector? Is it just so like those uh, EpiPens? It's just like an EpiPen. They're they're a lot bigger. So uh, you pull mm-hmm. off the cap. You're in a sitting position. You find the center of your leg uh-huh. on the top. Measure two fingers to the right because oh. you don't you don't want the needle to fire into the bone. Okay. Right. And you put the marker down and you marker. It's the auto ejector and you push down and a needle about three inches long shoots out. What? And pumps this liquid into your leg. When they were we were all in the little group getting ready to do this when I was in uh, in training. Again, it's like having sex with Joe. Yeah. Hey. You're gonna feel you don't a little hit the prick. <laughs> You'll feel a little prick. Uh, he flipped up the cover of his binder and fired through the binder and sprayed everybody in the front six or seven rows, and they just went, "Oh no, this is gonna be awful." They, uh, why they, would you want to do that? Why would you want to show everybody what you're gonna do to yourself? Why don't you just let people be surprised? Yeah, the surprise we got in our group was they had us all sitting in rows, and the instructor said, "Everybody have your thing ready to go, but don't do it till the instructor is right." in front of you to guide you through it one at a time. Right. And they're going through, and a couple of the really and big guys... Donald in the back. <laughs> That's exactly right. Mm. So we watch a few of the big guys in the front rows pass out because they just can't do it. And then wow. before they get to dumb Donald, he's just, I know what I'm doing. So he pulls the thing off, puts it on his leg, and has his thumb over the top to push down. And he had it upside down. Oh, so yeah. So the needle fired through his thumb... <laughs> Threw his fingernail and sprayed all over the ceiling, which conked about two or three other guys out. Who just went, oh, I'm out of here. Yeah, that was that's awesome. awesome. Yeah, that was that was a great day. Uh, that is awesome. And because our group did so poorly, we all had to go back and do it again the next day. Oh, nice. So awesome. there, there were technically some people in the group who did it once already and then had to do it again yeah, the next yeah, day. Yeah, I wound up having to do it twice. Oh, yeah. lucky no. you. Oh, so brutal. In some countries, uh, they all use a slightly different system. Where you just fired into your butt cheek. Yeah. The group before us, because we saw the guy taken away in the stretcher, he didn't do the two fingers to the right thing and he fired oh, it into, into his, his bone. Into the bone. Oh, and it and it hooked. Oh god. So they had to take him away and get it removed oh, from the Oh. What a nightmare. I'm glad I'm not in the service. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you're glad you're not in the service for a number of reasons. This is the least of the reasons. The morning that you're 10K not run. The service. Oh, there's that too. Uh, Sarin was created in 1938 by okay. IG Farben, a chemical company in Nazi Germany, mm-hmm. uh, also known as GB, as the uh, code initials gb for sarin gb yep mm-hmm. that's one great. of the g g class great boils it was basically <laughs> they came to the g category and this was the second one they made so okay. GB. well while working on insecticides chemist scrater ambrose ritter uh-huh. and vanderlind wow those are some names came up with a compound of isopropyl methylfluorophosphate, mm-hmm. which caused massive disruption to the nervous system and was referred to as Substance 146. Ooh. So, so Scrater Ambrose Ritter, S-A-R, and yeah. Vander Lind in. Yeah, so Sarin. to honor the chemists to create the compound, IG Farben renamed it Sarin, although it should be called Sarvdal. Sarvdal. Yeah. From now on, we will call it Sarvdal, as that is what it should be called. Mm-hmm. We that won't make, confuse the, the emergency response service. <laughs> I think there's been a Sarvdol uh, dispersal. Mm-hmm. Soon after Sarin was invented, the recipe for the agent was passed to the German army, which set about manufacturing stocks of the weapon. The agent was loaded into shells, but never used on Allied forces in the Second World War. Wow. Substance 146 is not hard to make, but it is hard to make without killing yourself. Oh, okay. Well, that's that's. I would call critical. that hard to make. Yeah. It requires I mean, technical know-how, proper lab equipment, and strict safety procedures. Yeah, I think when you're dealing with the manufacturer of any like super highly poisonous substance, 
probably doing it carefully. Don't just slam it together. Scientific conditions. <laughs> Attention to detail. Though referred to as a nerve gas, sarin is a liquid at temperatures below 150 degrees Celsius. Okay. To maximize its potential as a weapon, the substance is usually dispersed from a canister, rocket, or missile in a cloud of droplets that are fine enough to be inhaled. Though as some evaporates into gas, the chemical enters the body through the eyes and skin, too. So, yeah, see absorptive uh, qualities as well. Sarin has no smell or taste and is colorless. So the first people may know of its use is when the victims start to fall. Uh, is this another one of these delayed reaction things, or does it take you out right away? Oh, that's that's within minutes. Mild effects are irritated eyes, blurred vision, uh, drooling, vomiting. Right, but so, only for a couple of minutes. So Friday night. Lethal effects are labored, shallow, or erratic breathing, inability to control muscles and convulsions, lung secreting fluids, and when people try to breathe, uh, foam comes from their mouths, often tinged pink with blood. Ah. If people survive the first 20 minutes of a sarin attack, they are likely to live. Oh, okay. In the event that treatment can be sought, an injection of atropine can be administered as it works by blocking sarin's effects in the nerves. So, so same get, kind of deal. When you get hit by sarin gas, just start that like stopwatch. Just pull your sarin stopwatch out. Tick, 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 tick. When it hits that 20-minute mark, ding, all right, I'm free and clear. Mm-hmm. Sarin itself reacts easily with water, and so it breaks down when it meets rain, moisture in the air, or sweat. Thus, sarin does not hang around for a long time in the environment. It is not ah. a persistent agent. So, so if you think is... you've been hit by sarin, start getting really nervous and sweat. I will. Sarin would not be particularly effective in the Vancouver area. Mm. Too much rain. In the spring, autumn, or winter months. Yeah. yeah. In, in Well, okay, so 10 and a half out of the 12 months of the year. This leads to the 1952 Doug Way sarin incident. Doug Way? Yes. Is that a guy's name? No. Oh. On the morning of 7th November 1952, a jet aircraft sped towards Dugway Proving Ground in Tool, Utah. Okay. Each of the plane's wing tanks were filled with 100 gallons of sarin, dyed red to help gauge how far it would disperse. What? So this is a testing the... ground. Okay. So it's a military <laughs> testing ground. All right. Okay. So I'm just trying to figure out what the <sighs> hell is going on here. Okay. So the military is testing dispersal of sarin. Yeah. So this Dugway Proving Ground is a large area that has mountains on, like, all around it. Okay. All right. So fuck the environment in that area. Yeah, because nothing can get past mountains. Okay. The plan was for the plane to spray the sarin over a target site, but because of a malfunction, the tanks fell from the wings at 2,000 feet, containing 90 gallons each on the salt crust of the open desert and burst open as they struck the ground in an isolated area of the site. Okay. The case report of a severe human poisoning by GB was published by the Army Chemical Center a month after the sarin accident at Dugway. GB being the... Yeah, as previously hmm. mentioned, Gross the... boils. Was that, was what you Great said? boils. Great boils. <laughs> it provides Great. a vivid account of one American's exposure to the nerve agent from this incident. Just so you know, the GB for Great Boils was because of a spider above where they were creating this stuff, and it actually put those words into... It's web. It's web. Oh, oh okay. Great boils. Fancy. Mm-hmm. The army crew that raced toward the test site after the tanks fell was made up of six men. Two safety personnel, a two-person decontamination team, an aid man, and a medical officer. Okay. All the- wearing hazmat suits. <laughs> not so fast there, Ronnie. What? What? Why? Why would you not go into a place where they're obviously sending people to decontaminate something poisonous without... Well, I'm, I'm sure it wasn't somebody with expertise in that uh, kind of thing. They drove up to the contaminated area in an ambulance. When uh-huh. they stepped out onto the desert, they were all wearing gas masks, except for the medical officer, J.A., 
we'll call him. Okay. Who ignored advice from his colleagues to take precautions for some reason. Why? It can't hurt me. I'm a medical officer. Why was I'm he... immune to this kind of stuff. Yeah, I guess he was a big Star Trek fan. He was like, no, the medical officer never gets it. It's the <laughs> expendable crew member who's wearing the red shirt. Three hours after the tanks had catapulted to Earth, J.A. led the crew toward a crater filled with liquid sarin. Without wearing any protective clothing, he stood less than 10 feet away from the crater's edge. What? He began to feel lightheaded. Uh-huh. What? Wait, I... What? Did they did they not know it was Saren? They no, they, they must have told them it was Saren. Well, they were all wearing gas masks except for the one guy. Yeah, okay. And it was it like was, fuck that shit. And they it was must their have been own in suits army too. dropping. He's a manly man. So yeah, I, they would have to so, have been in suits as well because a gas mask isn't I mean, going to protect you on its own right. from the, air gas. The only way this guy does anything dumber is if he decided, "Hey, nice pool, I'm going to take a dip." <laughs> Within 10 seconds, JA clutched his chest and bolted for the ambulance. He called out for a gas mask as he stumbled forward, staggering with one arm reaching out. As he got to the car, he collapsed. Before J.A. was rushed to the hospital, a dose of the antidote atropine was quickly injected into his thigh. He let out high-pitched screeches and low gurgles. Pink-tinged gurgles. He started convulsing, and then he became limp and unresponsive. He was given more atropine. His face relaxed, and he lay still, staring vacantly ahead. Uh huh. The aid man couldn't find an arterial pulse. J.A. turned blue. According to the report, his breathing sounded like growling. Mm-hmm. J.A. was rushed to an army hospital where he was placed inside an iron lung-type respirator. His breathing slowly began to improve. The blue color of his skin turned to an ashen gray. He involuntarily grabbed, involuntarily grabbed his throat, so his arms had to be restrained. In two hours, he began to speak in a halting but intelligible manner. Uh-huh. He was removed from the respirator, and he appeared alert and oriented, although he complained of severe malaise. Uh-huh. Oh, the malaise. Well, the malaise of his own stupidity? <laughs> uh, he just realized, oh, no, I'm super dumb. Oh, I'm so unhappy right now. I just realized what an idiot I am. I'm the medical officer, and I was like, gas masks. Uh-huh. I think he, they emphasized the officer part of it than the medical one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah he was kind of like a medical officer, if you know what I mean. Yeah, he's he's like an administrator yeah. for, for all the actual medics. Yeah. Uh, this is just so dumb. His eyes were sensitive to the light. Merely reading was painful. About three and a half hours after his initial exposure, J.A. had essentially recovered from his poisoning. That night, while he slept in his hospital bed, his mouth was dry. Whenever he tried to take a drink, he immediately vomited. But by his third morning in recovery, he managed to read the Sunday comics without his eyes hurting. Mm-hmm. In the following days, J.A.'s brush with death became a blurred memory. He could remember only the giddiness that he felt as he stood at Crater's Edge looking into the red pool. Is that a common mm-hmm. medical test for your eyesight recovery? <laughs> yeah. can, can, you read read the funnies? These, can you read these funnies without your eyyes hurting? Uh, oh, I'm Dilbert doing today. <laughs> yeah, but maybe sometimes, maybe the symptoms of his eyes hurting was just because it was like there was an extra installment of Family Circle or something. <laughs> so it was like, it hurt his eyes, but uh, it wasn't Oh, oh yeah, it was family circle. It's another yeah. follow Billy through the neighborhood. Uh. <laughs> I didn't do it. And it was someone else, and it wasn't me. This Dugway place was the same place that there was uh, what they called the Dugway sheep incident in 1968, where um, they were testing um, sheep. They were testing sheep? They were testing VX, not sarin. Oh, on sheep. Uh, no, they were just testing uh, chemical artillery shells and burning the nerve agent in an open air pit and having a jet spray it. Mm-hmm. But the spray drifted west 43 kilometers into Skull Valley where 6,000 sheep were killed because they were grazing in the area. 6,000? Yeah. So, And then the guy who owned the sheep also had like nerve damage along with his family for years after mm-hmm. that. 
So they actually had experience prior to the second incident that maybe this uh, spraying intense poison over a large area might have an adverse effect. Lightning never strikes twice. I don't even oh, but understand. Kevin. But sarin gas evidently does. <laughs> that first thing where they were testing its dispersal, why don't you just get a very similar but safe chemical? It's not to, the same agent. To, to it use. doesn't vaporize at the same temperature. It doesn't disperse in the same pattern. What are the size of the droplets? <sighs> I, you know, the best thing is to just not use this stuff. Mm-hmm. You've got yeah, an arsenal of nuclear weapons. Yeah. Well, the irony, and this goes actually to bioweapons, because it followed later with chemical weapons, was Nixon was the voice of reason with this. He was in office, and they said, we've got this many, you know, leaders of bioweapons. And he said, well, why? If they do something stupid, we're just going to nuke them. Yeah. And that's when the Americans <laughs> got out of the biological weapons hmm, thing. Right. They just went, yeah, it suddenly we realized it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. And, of course, uh, sarin was used in the Arum Shinriko uh, Tokyo subway attack. And, uh, Which we talked about in the cults episode. So uh, make sure you listen to our cults episode mm-hmm. for more information on that. A lot of overlapping in this episode with other the, episodes. Um, that particular cult, their first test was using VX before the big sarin event. And that is the one and only documented case of a person actually killed in anger using VX. Halabja? Yeah, the Halabja chemical attack, also known as the Halabja massacre or Bloody Friday, mm. was mm. Uh, during the Iran-Iraq uh, war of the 1980s. There was also a genocidal war from Iraq against the uh, ethnic Kurds within its borders. At the same time. At the same time. So mm. March 16th, 1988, during the closing days of the, of the big war in the Kurdish city of Halabja in southern Kurdistan, the Iraqi army launched an attack against this city. The attack was uh, conducted by fighter aircraft, took place 48 hours after the town had actually fallen to the Iranian army and Kurdish rebels. So the attack starts, the planes are screaming in, they start bombing the city, and they're using conventional explosives. The town's exploding, and then people start dropping that haven't been hit by concussion waves or flying debris. When all is said and done, about somewhere between 3,000 and 5,000 people were killed virtually instantly from the the gases, and over 10,000 more were injured. Uh, some of those died in days afterwards, and then there's been a host of birth defects and genetic disorders following this because they used a mix of nerve agents with the explosives. So who was using the nerve agents? The Iraqi government was using them. There were nerve agents. Uh, mustard gas was used, which is where we get the mutagenic effects of mm-hmm. the dioxin, and then the nerve agents as well. And there are, there are many, many uh, famous pictures of this. Yeah, when they were finally trying Saddam Hussein for war crimes, and uh, they kept saying, talking about use, he used... He used chemical weapons on his own people. Like, this is the incident they were talking about. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This particular event was and still remains the largest chemical weapons attack directed against a civilian populated area of all time. Except Not surprisingly, when, uh, the government of Canada has considered it a crime against humanity and an act of genocide. Yeah. Except when um, Joe eats chili at a large outdoor festival. And that's a chemical, t- a chemical attack on an unsuspecting civilian population as well. And the Canadian government has also <laughs> declared that declared a war. That. <laughs> crime against crime humanity. Against humanity. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're still pursuing legal uh, yeah, recourse yeah. on that. Uh, yeah, I can't talk in, about it. <laughs> still in the courts. It's an injunction against the bunghole. Fuck Harper.
something in the air that warns me to beware tonight. There's something in the air. never saw the stars so bright there's something in the air though i find there's danger in your eyes the thrill is new i've been blind but now i realize what love can do oh, i feel it everywhere so whisper you'll be mine tonight there's something in the air In the news, August 2014, Washington, D.C. All right. The Army Corps of Engineers announced that the project to clean up chemical weapons and toxic waste in Spring Valley will take another three years. Oh, do you think they named it Spring Valley ironically? Because it's, like, toxified? It's where they throw all the old mattresses and they've all decayed away and it's nothing but yeah. springs left. <laughs> Spring Valley. Since yeah. 1993, the Army has been clearing, cleaning up World War I bombs and chemical agents buried from experiments at American University in 1918. I'm wondering if these engineers are like Scotty from Star Trek and they're saying three years, but it'll really only take them one and a half, mm. but they're like doubling it so it looks really impressive when they're mm-hmm. done faster. Oh, except, Under promise and over deliver. Yeah, yeah. Except that in 2012, it said the project would finish this year. So the new target is now 2017. Okay. The Army has estimated the cleanup cost of $250 million, but the number is likely to increase with the extended schedule. Yeah. The Corps now says the project will cost $256 million. That's six more million dollars. We're going to need another six million. Basically, the U.S. Army in World War One were testing chemical weapons on domestic soil to use in Europe during the war. Mm-hmm. And they buried the results of those tests, and now it's like leaking into the groundwater or something like that. So that's why they yeah, I'll get, get into rid of that. It. If the army actually finishes ex- excavation and restoration by 2017, the cleanup of toxic waste will have taken 24 years since contractors stumbled upon a cache of bombs with traces of chemical agents. In those 24 years, the army has cleaned up 177 yards and lots where it discovered high levels of arsenic and other chemicals. Right. It has found more than 1,000 ordnance items, including rounds filled with chemical agents. Army contractors have sunk 53 wells to monitor groundwater and found high levels of arsenic and perchlorate. Perchlorate. Perchlorate, and are planning to drill more. Nearly 100 years after the Army buried chemical weapons in D.C. Spring Valley, it's Mm -hmm. still finding bombs and lethal chemicals under the homes there. The toxic waste comes from chemical labs an American university established during World War I to develop bombs to use in the European trench warfare. During the 1914 and 1918 war, armies used bombs with poison gas on the battlefield. The U.S. Army asked chemists from around the country to gather at the American University Experimental Station to develop a lethal poison. 
Mm-hmm. The chemist came up with lewisite, a gas made principally of arsenic. It was dubbed the dew of death. The dew of death. Because like, one drop could be lethal. D-E-W. Oh, like, so like a dew on grass kind of dew. Yes. Not, not, not like a just do it sort of <laughs> Nike dew. No. More like dew the dew from Mountain Dew. Yeah, got it. Back then, Spring Valley was fields and forests, and soldiers fired poison gas bombs across the area to see how quickly it killed animals tethered to stakes. Oh, there you go. All right. Very scientific. Man, if we can tether those Huns to stakes, they are in big trouble. That's right. That's right. And we all know that, uh, you know, uh, sheep lungs and cow lungs, whatever, will provide the exact same results as a human would. Probably not too dissimilar. They're mammals. The war ended before the Lewisite could make it to Europe, and the American University Experiment Station closed down. Soldiers buried the bombs and dumped chemicals into pits. In the following decades, the neighborhood in the district's far northwest corner, bordering on Maryland, developed with fine homes and mansions. Spring Valley became the home of presidents and diplomats. Until it came to light in 1993, Spring Valley's chemical past was buried in archives. And the ground, evidently. And And the ground, yes. Fields where they had blown up puppies and kittens and ducklings and... uh, Armadillos. Armadillos? Really? I was going with I was going with cute and sympathetic. Oh. You thought thinking armadillos cute bats, and sympathetic? Bats then. Bats. Oh. <laughs> I think we have a very different idea of what cute and sympathetic might be. Triceratops. Oh, there we go. Yeah. That's something we can all agree on. It's mm-hmm. cute. Do you want to talk about uh, Gouda? Gouda. The Gouda chemical attack. This is almost in the news. You buried people in cheese. No one would object to that attack. I, I certainly would not eat my way to freedom. <laughs> August 21st, 2013, part of the Syrian civil war that's still ongoing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Several opposition-controlled or disputed areas of the Gouda suburbs of uh, Damascus were struck by rockets containing the chemical agent sarin. Uh, Somewhere between 281 to 1,729 fatalities. Oh, wow. It's one of those Mm -hmm. things where there's different agencies giving their report. There's the local people. There's the Syrian government. So there's no exact correct number. Very few of them were actually rebel fighters. They were mostly all civilians. Right. But what's interesting is the United Nations mission that was there to investigate chemical attacks was only quartered a few kilometers away from where this chemical attack took place. Okay. So they, they thought, we'll so get... they responded instantly. Well, they tried right. to, but the battle, the battle raged for a, a little over a day. So they got there late on the 23rd of August. And they did determine that sarin was used on the site. But what is curious now is... It may not have actually been the Syrian government. It could, it, whoever it was, did have access to the weapons of the Syrian government. It was their weapons. Right? Oh, okay. Uh, and at the time, uh, the government said, "No, no, it wasn't us." And of course, nobody believed them. But even recently, they're starting to say, "You know, it might have been rebels who had access to it." Mm-hmm. I, d- I don't want any rebels knocking on my door saying, "No, no, it's the government." It's <laughs> we're still not sure. But it's not as black and white as it was this time last year. But the rebels would have gassed themselves then, which is not uncommon in terrorism. Accidentally, uh, well, not accidentally, attack your own people for um, to encourage the others. All right, everybody, get in line, get behind the rebels. You might get gassed. Well, that brings us into pop culture. I am willing to put on the record mm. that there is a Michael Bay film that I like. What? I know this is one of my Transformers guilt- Three. Definitely not Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. I haven't seen it, but it has got like a fifteen percent on Rotten Tomatoes. So I'm, right. I'm happy. I'm happy that it's probably awful. What is it then? It's the Rock, The Rock, the Nicolas Cage, Sean Connery classic, Alcatraz storming, VX gas toting domestic terrorists. Okay, 
it's still ridiculous as Michael Bay movies are. Like the fact that Alcatraz, that is no longer an operating prison or anything like that, that the only access they get, like periodically just shoots these giant jets of flame into this like access corridor for no discernible reason whatsoever. Just that they have to crawl this thing that every so often just fills with like an inferno, right? That makes no sense whatsoever, but... So it's a Michael Bay movie. Uh, it's a Michael Bay movie, but it's one that I don't know why. I mean, maybe it's the performances. I mean, Sean Connery, Ed Harris, Nicolas Cage, all the greatest performers of our day, of our age. So why is there VX in it? That's the threat. They got these missiles lined up to point at San Francisco, and they're just trying to get money out of the uh, American government. Oh, okay. And if they don't, they're going to fire these rockets filled with VX gas into San Fran and nu- and take everybody out. Are these these green globes? Yeah, yeah I don't know why they're green. Yeah. It's and like I a don't... clear glass globe full of green dish detergent. Well, right. because it's a Michael Bay movie. Okay. And you, you, have you have to show the evil you have corrosive. You see the, the gaseousness mm. And right. the you know it seems like a particularly ill devised way to deliver. And VX does gas. VX melt your face off like it did in this? Uh, no, scene? no, it doesn't. You might turn a little gray on right. your on your way to death, right? Um, but no, you you don't melt. Okay, well, you know, I mean, uh, Michael Bay says he does. So uh, if Hollywood <laughs> is Hollywood has taught me anything. Yeah. If Michael Bay has taught me anything. It is that VX gas melts your face off. Hmm. And, you, and you enjoyed this movie. I watched, I love watching Ed Harris chew scenery. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Uh, like when he yells. Okay, you know? sure. Right? A lot if there of was yelling. a movie that was just Ed Harris yelling, uh, I would not be, be kind there. of in favor of it. And Sean Connery's haircut? Sean Connery with the, before he retired, when you know, uh, the, the classic wigs. <laughs> yeah, brought to the silver screen. The silver-haired fox on the silver screen. Who's to argue with this? How can I find anything at fault with the, with the rock? Another reference to VX is found in the 2012 art house dark comedy film. It's a disaster. Has anyone besides me seen this one? Yeah, uh, I've, I've seen, seen it. it. Yeah, I enjoyed this. Yeah. So they're they're having like a dinner party. It's got David Cross and Julia Stiles and America Ferrera, and there's what four what, couples. What year is this from? 2012. Oh wow, recent. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's four couples get together. one couple's late. They don't reveal what it is at first, but there's some kind of attack. Right. happening on the states and right. you learn slowly through the course of the movie what's happening through a series of clues and yeah. and them trying to suss it out mm-hmm. I thought it was okay yeah I enjoyed it I, I would give it a seven and a half eight I, I mean I Julia Stiles was in it out of 20 for me <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I don't like films that are quirky just for the sake of quirky um, and there definitely was a couple in this that I just I couldn't stand them the hippy dippy couple oh yeah yeah because they're, yeah. they're quirky just for the sake of adding a quirky couple right but I, I liked uh, David Cross I like the way he's kind of the voice of reason and everything that's going on here and yeah. he's the new person who doesn't know anyone right yeah he's like the uh, new boyfriend in one of the couples yeah so, and, and the, the, the weird rest neighbor, of them are all like old yeah, friends they've been getting together for years and they all hate these brunches that they, it's, it's a brunch couple's brunch right and they all hate them. And there's one couple that's getting a divorce and doesn't want to tell the other couples. And This feels like that there's, you know, some New York socialite who had this circle of friends that they were felt obligated to meet with at all times. But they had this kind of fantasy that there would be a that there would be this disaster. like earth shattering disaster that would put an end to these things once and for all. And this <laughs> the whole movie is uh, is surrounded uh, by wish fulfillment fantasies. Yes, so there is because that sounds like to me. There is, yeah. Well, and there's kind of the funny line when the f- one couple shows up at the beginning, the one with the new boyfriend, 
and he's a little nervous and she goes it's not like it's the end of the world and then there's a couple that shows up late and they don't let him in they won't let them in because well of course they've taped all the windows and everything yeah. by that point so right. uh so they won't let him in and the the line is kind of well maybe you should learn to show up on time once yeah. in a while again wish fulfillment yeah, yeah. No fantasy exactly. fulfillment so does this feel like a one room play like the whole thing takes place inside one room sort of thing uh several rooms but one house one for house. sure yeah, yeah. yeah. all right yeah. so it's it obviously started out as a play probably wouldn't surprise me it became wouldn't. adapted into a movie yeah i did really enjoy the ending because there's there's a couple of really there's a big reveal about one person's character yeah there's a bit of a twist and yeah, a bit of a twist don't uh, don't spoil it i, I would say worth this. seeing not super great you got a date it's a it's a dark couples movie a little eating raul action yeah. In the Doctor Who two-parter, the Sontaran Stratagem and the Poison Sky, uh, the... Is this old Doctor Who or new Doctor Who? This is Who? brand new Doctor Who. It's from 2008, mm-hmm. uh, and it features the Sontarans, who are this uh, race of cloned super warriors. They look like short, little, stubby, wide, I don't know. Eraser head guys. They don't sound like super warriors to me, the way you just they, described they them. They don't kind of look chested. like one. Yeah, they think that they're super warriors and they're they're very warlike, uh, warlike culture. But they're delusional. Kind of. I'm, they're very funnily delusional. Like mm-hmm. they do win a lot of wars because they've because you know that's what they concentrate on. But I don't think they're necessarily great at it. In this episode, they are. The, the doctor finds that uh, a whole bunch of cars on Earth have been fitted with this device called the Atmos device, mm-hmm. uh, which stands for... Oh, Atmosphere. At most, Doctor Who is passable. It's t- <laughs> <laughs> it stands for the Atmospheric Omission System, okay. and it okay. turns cars into complete zero-emission vehicles, so it's supposed to be this wonder thing oh, so for, uh, okay. for global warming. And Doctor Who right. doesn't right. like that, so he tries to stop them. He totally mm-hmm. does like it, but, he's, but he, of course, thinks that this technology is far too advanced. Uh, and UNIT, which is the United Nations Intelligence Task Force, which is the humans that he often works with, thinks that it's probably some kind of alien technology, and so because right. of that, they don't trust it. Right. And they're quite right to because it's actually a Sontaran uh, stratagem, hence the right. name. Dun, dun. To, Spoiler alert. To terraform Earth so that instead of being uh, less uh, harmful to humans, it kills them all off and the atmosphere becomes filled with this nurturing gas for all their cloned warriors to consume while they get cloned. Right. So good gas right. for them, bad gas That's for them. Right, exactly. Yeah. Right. And so it's about a doing a whole worldwide sneaky uh, chemical attack. So, of course, the doctor stops him. Oh, it's just spoiler With the alert. <laughs> yeah. it's just about to, I was just about to say. So they succeed, and humanity's wiped out. Yep. All right. Great. Perfect. Good. Happy ending. Then it's the Doctor Who thing that happens where I go. Okay, this is where the Doctor Who writers remind me they're not actually good at science fiction because right. you know if I could have th- told you that a long time ago. If a thing is spewing out something, we're gonna find it. Like, you'll just run mm-hmm. it, and you'll go, oh, look, this is what's happening. And, you know, well, we can detect it, chemicals. Doesn't it run for a while and actually no emissions come out, but it's collecting the emissions? Yeah. I can't remember they, if that's how it works. Well, and that's then the it thing. They, they kind of hand wave it. They, uh, yeah. That's that's how Doctor Who writers do their there science. There is a bit of magic, They yeah. go, ah, it's uh, zero emission and awesome and perfect, but secretly going to be evil and kill everybody. How? Mm. I, uh, that's that's what they do. Right. I, I love Doctor Who, but yeah. It's I was just going to say, why very... do you love Doctor Who? Why? For scarves. Because you can, scarves? Hand, you can hand wave stuff like that in a fantasy slash sci-fi world. Uh-huh. It's fine, as long as we know that that's the rules of that world. I'm not expecting Larry Niven-style hard science fiction out of my 
children's time traveling adventure who doesn't use remember the whole first year all the enemies were in aluminum foil costumes yeah so i see i understand production limitations (laughs) (laughs) right that i get yeah it's you know i don't understand yeah writing and character and any comic books there's rogue trooper from 2000 ad rogue trooper from 2000 ad what is it about Rogue Trooper, 2080, British comic book. Uh, Rogue is a GI, or genetic infantryman. A genetically modified, blue-skinned, manufactured elite soldier. Okay. And his three comrades, the the four of them together, are searching for a traitor general. So there's a battle going on on New Earth. They were sending in the 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 year 2000 AD. Uh, Well, in the comic book 2000 AD. Anyway, is this the same world as Judge Dredd? Judge Dredd is in 2000 AD comics, so it's one of the stories. Each of the uh, 2000 AD comics has a a portion of each story runs each week. Right. Um, So you would never encounter Judge Dredd and Rogue Trooper. It's it's, like a serialized anthology. anthology. Yeah, but it's it's kind of the same universe they're in. So. As the, the GIs come down to attack in, in the first battle they're having on New Earth, they're destroyed because of the traitor general. Right. All of the GIs have uh, biochips implanted in their brains. So at the moment they're killed, all of their personality is recorded to it. Right. Ooh. So that their chips can be pulled and stored in slots on equipment that will power them until they can get back and have them recloned. Okay. So. Um, I like it. Uh, Rogue only has three spots for chips. So he takes his three buddies, Gunner, Bagman, and Helm. Uh-huh. And he puts Gunner in his rifle. Uh-huh. Helm goes on his helmet. Uh-huh. Wait, and wait. And Bagman? Is in his scrotum. He's uh, in his bag, man. Right. It's in his bag, man. It's on his rucksack. And they each have skills, and the rifle can fire on its own with Gunner firing a weapon. They are genetically engineered to be immune to almost all known toxins. They can submerge in strong acid, unaffected, Ooh. able to withstand vacuum, bare skin, flame doesn't hurt them. The, oh. the complete atmosphere on the planet is gone because of chemical warfare. Oh. Right. Everyone else has to wear suits, which for some reason you just pull the hose gently, and the person dies instantly from the gas. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny. They have portable bubbles they put up when they want to go inside to get out of the air. So who are the two sides that are fighting in this? Like, who's Rogue Trooper the, the fighting The two battles against? are the Norts against the Souther's. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. All right. And the Norts have a, Very have a chemical weapon called the Dreamweaver gas, which is a hallucinogen. Like oh. it. And like although it, it affects like Rogue... He can see all the hallucinations, but he knows the hallucinations, so they right. don't stop him. Whereas everyone else sees beautiful women and start taking off their suits to go dance with them. Yeah, right. And, and that's kind all, of the end of them. Yeah, they yeah. all choke out on so the uh, on the gas. It's it's dated, but um, it's got some good funny moments. Alan Moore wrote several of the chapters in it. Well, yeah, I mean, Alan Moore, uh, you know, was uh, involved. Just the onset of him going crazy at the very earliest of yeah. like 2008. Like, there's um, 2008 had a couple of incarnations. Mm-hmm. Where they, uh, you know, went out of business at one point and came back. And, and Alan Moore was kind of in and out of all that right. the whole time along. Blue skin, can't go wrong. Well, uh, if, if Avatar is any uh, indication. If you had to be one of Rogue Trooper's buddies, uh, would you be his rucksack or his gun well, or Bag his Man. helmet? Bagman all the way. Bagman actually is the coolest of the three. Why is Bagman the coolest of the three? The the GIs have the best equipment that's ever been invented. And the bag actually has all the equipment stored in it. And he just has to call for the item and an arm brings it out to him. Okay. So And the bag can operate independently. So if there's bad guys behind him, it'll fire little mines at the bad guys. Okay. And micro mines and blows them up. And he'll yeah. go, hand me this. And it shoots out of the pack and he's got it in his hand. And If Rogue and, Trooper goes unconscious, can the bag kind of turtle up and spider him away? <laughs> uh, no, but it can give first aid to him. Okay. Uh, yeah. And then the rifle can flip itself over and defend them while nice. he's unconscious, taking his so nap. So what does the helmet do? Helm? It's like just like, does it drop like a visor and, you know? No, Helm is actually a character in search of a role, kind of. He's right. um, That's me. 
Yeah. I'd be Helm, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a character in search for a role if ever there was one. Well, I guess that makes me rifle. Gunner. Although Gunner has You're a... You're always shooting your mouth off. Woo! Gunner has a personality disorder. Fuck you, Torrin Atkinson. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> It's such a weird feeling to know you're alive. It's such an awful feeling. You're dying inside, and when you wake up, startled to say, I hope I don't go crazy today. It's such a bad feeling, an ominous feeling, a feeling you know that we'll be back when the week is new. And we'll have more gross facts for you. And you'll have things you want to hear about. We will too. Caustic Soda was recorded by Mike Leeson, while suspended by hooks over a pack of hyenas. To comment on episodes, make donations, and for links, images, videos, and show notes, visit causticsodapodcast.com. Rate and review us on iTunes. Visit us on Facebook. Tweet us on Twitter at Caustic Podcast. Email us at info at causticsodapodcast.com. I'm a fan too. Thanks for listening. Sorry. That thing was drooping and fell off. That's what she said. Uh huh. God. I don't get it. That's going to be the little bit at the end of the episode. Uh, boop, 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 boop.